good morning from me in uh, Bolivia today. And uh, welcome to another episode of the Political Tipster. Uh, we've just had the first round of the French presidential election. And uh, this Sunday, we will have the second round. Uh, now I'm uh, very excited to, because uh, our last uh, podcast was very fascinating. Uh, but uh, once again, uh, we have uh, Mr. Frexit on the show today. So uh, good. Uh, well, for you, it's uh, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Glad, glad, to, glad to be here. Uh, glad to for, be back on the political tipster. <laughs> um, for those who didn't listen to the last podcast, please, could you give a bit of an introduction to yourself, please? Uh, I'm just uh, uh, somebody who loves politics and who is French and who is uh, pro Frexit, as my my name as my as mentioned in my name, and yeah, that's it. Just uh, somebody who loves politics in general, not only French politics, but yeah, that that's that's what, what we 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 can speak about today. <laughs> And you're uh, a member of the Cercle Aristote, if I'm right, the Sovereignist. Oh, I'm not, yes, I'm. I'm not a member of it, but I'm a I'm close follower and a, a good supporter of the of the cause of uh, and of their work. They're, they're doing amazing work to gather a lot of uh, a lot of uh, authors uh that publish books about uh, sovereignty and about identity and a lot of different subjects that are very interesting that they are they, they aim to be a platform for all the sovereignist movement in france very nice yeah so something that i've always found quite interesting in contrasting france and britain is that uh, as i've lived as i've lived in both countries and uh, i've been an ardent supporter Brexit and Brexit is that in France it seems to be a very intellectual movement for the moment. Uh, in Britain, sorry, it was it it was a very uh, too too much of an intellectual movement a few years ago, but now it's growing. Growingly, you see youngsters in in uh, watching at at the 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 circularist videos, for instance. Or the or going going to the conferences, you see more and more youngsters. So it's changing. The it used to be very intellectual, very boring, <laughs> the type of gatherings. But now it's uh, it's, it's a bit is it is improving because why? Is because the, the the concept of sovereignty and uh, and the, the the necessity to to be a sovereign nation is is an idea that is uh, spreading inside the population more and more. Mm. Yeah, it, in Britain, uh, it, it used to be more of a fringe movement in the sort of intellectual circles of the, the Conservative Party and before that, the, the Labour Party. And uh, it was probably thanks to, I don't agree with most of his politics, but uh, Nigel Farage uh, played a great role in really making it a, a mainstream idea and really talking about sort of um, everyday issues which were linked to sovereignty. And I, I, I had hoped for this election that someone like Eric Zemmour would be able to do the same thing. But um, we'll so talk about... Would Eric Zemmour be a, Eric Zemmour be a, a French Nigel Farage? <laughs> That's the question. 
that that's what I was hoping. But today we'll talk about why that uh, didn't quite flourish. Um, so just a reminder to everyone what the result was. So uh, the two qualified candidates were Manuel Macron, who finished first with almost 28%. Uh, second was Marine Le Pen with 23%. In third place and very close was uh, Mélenchon, left-wing candidate, 22%. Then quite a surprise was Eric Zemmour with, with a low score of seven, around 7%. And then uh, in France, so I, I believe everyone is automatically reimbursed 800,000 euros. Uh, but those who finish under 5%, uh, they're not reimbursed further. So uh, the Republican Party, one of France's two traditional parties completely crashed with 4.8% with Valérie Pécresse. Uh, so I believe they've lost about 7 million euros from their campaign and they could be in a lot of trouble. Uh, elsewhere, we have Yannick Jadot of the Green Party also under the 5% with 46 uh, Then you have Jean Lassalle, who was sort of the agriculture um, candidate with around 3%, the communists with 2.3%, uh, the only candidate who was offering a referendum on, uh, on the European Union, Nicolas Dupont-Aignan with 2.1%, and uh, the socialist with Hidalgo with 1.7%. So the socialist party, another big titan of French politics, is, is now dead as well. And then you have two minor parties with less than 1%. So, um, Mr. Frexit, were there any surprises in, uh, in those results? Um, to be honest, no, not really, because the, the order is quite, is quite what the, the pollsters have, had been saying for, for many days before the election. Like, like Macron first, Le Pen second, Mélenchon third, all of this was, was what the, the pollsters gave. But um, but the yeah the, the the small surprises is that is the is Pécresse below five so that was that was quite of a surprise because you need to understand that the Pécresse is from the Republican Party and the Republican Party in in two thousand seventeen with François Fillon was at twenty percent and was the the leading the one of the top seed of the election was supposed to mm. win the election. So now that you imagine that five years after she's below five percent, like this is the, the the party that ruled the country for so many years with Chirac, with Sarkozy, and, and with Pompidou, with the so this is the a long 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 life of a of a political party that's that is completely destroyed today. So this is quite quite of a quite of a surprise. Um, the other surprise is the Zemmour score of, of 7% that is pretty low. She was the, the last polls gave him, I think, 10%, around 10%, yeah. 9 or 10 points. So he's below what, what, what the, the polls had predicted. Um, and then another surprise is Mélenchon very high with a 22%, almost, almost very close to qualify actually to second round. Um, because he's only one point below, below, uh, below Marine Le Pen. 
So, so yeah, Mélenchon, because the, I think the last polls gave him around 16 or 17 or 18%, and he finishes at 22. So that's yeah. a bit of a surprise. But so other than not much. So clearly there, there was some sort of uh, tactical voting on the, the day of the election itself. With, uh, absolutely, absolutely. A lot of, a lot of these uh, results can be explained by, by tactical voting on, on, on uh, different sides. And uh, what do you believe were the main issues uh, during this election? What, what were the French mainly voting on? So um, it's quite an interesting question because it had it, it changed during the election process because at the beginning at the early stage of the election you see the question of the of identity and culture being and civilization and being pushed forwards and that's that goes along with the the rise of Zemmour in the polls at the at early beginning like. November, November. Yeah, so, so this was the early question being being put forward mm. um, in the election. But then in in February, you had the the Ukraine crisis that completely took over the narrative of this election. Like we and and with this, you see Macron gaining points, Ukraine crisis, and Zemmour starts uh, declining in the polls. At, at the exact same time of the Ukraine start of the the Ukraine crisis, mm. so so then this this, and finally you had the in um, you had the, the the issue of living and the purchasing power with inflation rates going up and the price of of oil and uh, uh, going up, and so you see this question at the end of the election. Uh, picking up, uh, in, and that's where you see both Mélenchon and Le Pen gaining momentum as well, because mm. that's on this question they are very strong. So, um, so with this, you can see uh, three questions have uh, shaped the election. And uh, a lot of political commentators have called this a non election campaign why is that um because um it's a re-election campaign a, a proper campaign so a re-election campaign is always short and um and you see macron actually he already received his 500 signatures of, of support from uh, from elected uh, member of parliament or elected uh, mayors from all over the country, he already received them before he declared himself as a candidate. So he declared himself at the last minute, and then right he the the election was uh, the the subject of the election was took over by by the uh, I mean Ukraine the Ukraine. Uh, and then Macron refused as well to participate in any uh, debate with any candidates. So that's why people say it's a non-campaign. And uh, just to uh, make our viewers aware, I believe uh, because of the French laws which say that 
the two candidates in the second round have to have equal time. Every time Macron cancels some sort of media appearance, uh, debate, uh, Le Pen has to do the same as well. So essentially, not only is he himself not campaigning, but he's denying others uh, their campaign as well. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. You have equal time of candidates. So if he doesn't campaign, most of the media will not offer campaign time, campaign time, air time to to Le Pen as well. Yeah, correct. So something I wanted to. But I, I believe that in the second round she will campaign more. She will come. She will do more than than uh, than what she had done in the first round. In the first round, she almost avoided this campaign. Mm. Almost ran away from. She did not participate in any debate. He did only one meeting, only one uh, big rally at the at the La Défense in Paris, the, the 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 financial center. She did not do anything else. So yeah, for him, he almost considered it as a, as a administrative task. It is not a proper campaign of discussing because she doesn't want to discuss his. Uh, his um, how to say uh, uh, what she has done in the in the last yeah. five years she needs to be discussed of course uh, he, he yeah the lesser he we discuss about this the, the better it is for him yeah and uh, something i wanted to touch upon which was interesting um i think you tweet about this you said that the two candidates who qualified were those who understood the new political divide and those who didn't, Mélenchon and Zemmour, they were still stuck in the old left-right divide. So do you think there's been a realignment in political divisions in France? Um, so yeah, I tweeted that uh, the first two candidates don't speak about left and right divide, whereas the, the, the two following candidates, the Zemmour and Mélenchon, speak almost only about this like you see Mélenchon speaking about uh, unifying the left and mm -hmm. more speaking about unifying the right whereas whereas both Macron and Le Pen don't speak at all about right and left uh, uh, matters so yeah it's quite interesting and I, I I think is the we are seeing a process of realignment of French politics because in 2017 you had four candidates roughly at 20% of the vote. You had Mélenchon, Macron, Le Pen, and Fillon, so the, the Conservative mm. Party. They were all at around, around 20% in about equal. And now we see the same, but with only three candidates because, because the Fillon's party, the, the Republicans, as I said earlier, were completely crushed, crashed. So now we see three big parties with about 20% of the vote. So we see the the tradition, the, the left, which is the traditional left, as well as the woke and, and uh, the what we call the Islamo leftist. Oh yeah. So an, an alliance with the, the leftism and uh, and uh, uh, diversity uh, parties. We see the, the main uh, centrist party that is Macron's party, which is uh, uh, pro-EU, uh, 
uh, more or less uh, free trader and uh, and what I call what is what I believe to be uh, um, crony capitalism, basically, basically uh, giving away big companies to his friends, uh, public tenders to his friend, all of this. Um, and then we see the traditional tra the the right, which is both the conservative right uh, and uh, yeah the nationalist right, basically. So you see those three three pillars defining French politics today. And, and probably, uh, I believe, in it will uh, eventually uh, come to only two pillars, which is the the globalist and nationalist. That that's that's the that's the where we are going to. I think something which uh, Marine Le Pen herself predicted i think in 2016 she said the 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 future divide in politics will no longer between be between the left and the right but between the, the globalists and the and the patriots mm -hmm. nationalists so, uh, and, and macron macron agrees with her he she just says differently he says it's between yeah. uh, open society and uh, the the closed society or something like this but she she said exactly the same yeah. That means exactly the same. And uh, what do you think went wrong exactly for uh, Eric Zemmour? Why, why did he get such a low score? Um, so first, um, for Zemmour, he chose to appeal to the right-wing conservative bourgeoisie, and a bit too much in my view. Why? Because he chose to focus a lot on the identity issue, and speaking about uh, migration, inc including the, his proposal of having a ministry of re-migration, meaning yeah. of expulsing people out of the country. Um, so he, he, on purpose, he decided to, to put the spotlight on, of his campaign on this subject. And a bit too much, in my view, is that he spoke to the, the French bourgeoisie, of the, the right-wing bourgeoisie, but not too much to the the popular the popular people in the the rural area where Marine Le Pen is still the 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 the, the favorite the favorite candidate by far. He may, I mean he did not try to to uh, how to say he did not try to take over the electorate of Marine Le Pen at all. She she must he mostly focused on the. The right-wing conservative bourgeoisie. Yeah, and, and then the problem, the problem that he had is that when the Ukraine crisis came, his electorate moved moved away from him mm. to to Macron. Why? Is because this uh, electorate is concerned a lot about their how to say their social respectability. Mm. They have to be accepted in social circles, and and so defending Putin's in any way of of uh, in any way is not well perceived. So because Zemmour, Le Pen, and Mélenchon, all of them in the media, they have the image of being pro-Russia. Yeah. Some sometimes I can agree because they want lesser of an alignment of the French politics to Germany and to the US. 
They want lesser alignment to this, all of them. And so because of the crisis, the media used it, used the, the Ukraine crisis to attack all of them. But for Mélenchon and for Le Pen, it had almost zero effect, zero impact, because their electorate doesn't care about foreign politics. Their <laughs> electorate mostly about, care mostly about their everyday life. And uh, they don't care also about being socially respectable because they are already being uh, being described by the media as depictable. Depictable? How do you say? Like deplorable. The deplorable. Uh, deplorable. Uh, yeah, deplorable. They already they are already being portrayed by the media as deplorable, so they don't care about being socially yeah. accepted. Whereas the more electorate care about this, and so with the Ukraine crisis, they completely left his campaign and, uh, and then, it, after that sorry after that you had tactical voting that destroyed him mm. because he was almost uh, on at par with with uh, with with le pen before the ukraine crisis and then with the start of, of the crisis is like uh it's like a snowball you know you start losing points and then you start losing oh, points yeah. more and and then more people, and then at the end, a lot of people fear, fear about a second round being Macron versus Mélenchon. Yeah. A lot of right people fear this, and so they voted for Le Pen, even though their their choice of, of heart would have been would have been would have been Zemmour, mm -hmm. but Le Pen for a tactical reason. And and it showed this uh, in the results as well because. Uh... Uh, in the northeast of France, which is Le Pen's uh, strongest uh, area where she, she can reach up to 40% in some areas. Uh, Zemmour was really struggling even to get around 5% in these areas, whereas he was quite positively correlating with uh, François Fillon's electorate of 2017. So he was doing uh, better in wealthier areas of, of Paris, uh, from what I've seen. Exactly. He, he did well in Paris, wealthy areas, and in southeast of France, which is uh, like... A, Mediterranean. More, yeah, Mediter exactly. Mediterranean. He did well because they are a bit more bourgeois as well, and they are worried a lot about the migration. Yeah. So he did a campaign that was, uh, was designed for this electorate almost. And, uh, well, his gamble arguably would never have paid off, according to this very nice Charles de Gaulle quote that you shared as well <laughs> on Twitter, which says, uh, we have beaten the Germans, we prevented the communists from getting into power, and we've stood up to the Americans. But the one thing which we never achieved was making the bourgeoisie patriot or nationalist. Yeah, that's the, that's a great, brilliant quote from from the goal. One of the one of the many amazing quotes that he had. Uh, very harsh quotes on the bourgeoisie, but um, <laughs> well, yeah, quite 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 true that they are they are much more concerned about being socially accepted, and they are willing to compromise a lot, including strong principles in order to he has another quote where he say they are the, the french bourgeoisie is willing to compromise on anything 
uh, as long as it can, as they can continue to have uh, mundane dinners. <laughs> yeah. And and then he said, and then he said, in in uh, 1940, they were they they all of them were following Pétain because Pétain was allowing them to continue to have nice dinners. Ah, okay. I guess. Uh, I guess we're uh, lucky in the UK because uh, we we do have quite a patriotic right wing bourgeoisie. Uh, I'm guessing it's possibly down to both history and geography because uh, our right-wing bourgeoisie tend to be in the, the countryside. So our political realignment after Brexit was the, the middle-class countryside and the uh, working-class former industrial towns sort of reunited uh, under Boris Johnson. And uh, thanks to our voting system, uh, I think about 61% of our constituencies were Brexit voting, whereas it was only 52% voted Brexit. So we, we, the Brexit has an advantage thanks to first past the post um, for Boris Johnson. Um, mm. But historically, this right-wing bourgeoisie, they, they were sort of the very strong Protestant stronghold. Mm. So they have a huge, they have a big, attachment to the to England and to its not necessarily the UK but to England and its and its history and yeah we're, we're rather fortunate that we we still have that uh, patriotic and that's, something, and that's something we French people admire in in the and envy in uh, in the in the in the British in the British because because that's something we don't have is the yeah all of the almost all of the bourgeoisie voted for macron almost all so they mm. voted for this pro euro and what i call anti france party because that's yeah. where he is he's anti france whereas mm. in the uk we still have a uh, yeah patriot bourgeoisie lucky you <laughs> <laughs> um and just before we move on to the second round, uh, just a quick comment on uh, Mélenchon, uh, because mm. I find him quite interesting. I feel as if he really uh, mirrored uh, Jeremy Corbyn, because in 2017, uh, they both had fantastic campaigns on a sort of left-wing populist uh, platform. So people have forgotten in Britain, but uh, Jeremy Corbyn, actually, he was... Uh, on the platform of um, respecting the Brexit referendum. But not only that, he had a Build It in Britain campaign, a sort of uh, national protectionist sort of economic plan. And he was talking about the benefits of Brexit. And then he was sort of very close to victory. And uh, Corbyn, like Mélenchon, thought that, well, Mélenchon thought that you had to appeal to that six percent of socialist voters whereas Corbyn thought you had to dig deeper into the Green Party take more green votes so they moved towards more the what we call the woke student politics and um, for Corbyn it, it was a disaster and uh, he just collapsed whereas Mélenchon he, he seems to have improved on this score so what do you make of the Mélenchon campaign? 
He did. He did improve from from 2017. I I think he gained about about 700,000 votes from 2017 yeah. to 2022. So that that's pretty pretty successful, and he was very close to to reach the second round. So for Mélenchon, the the key of his success to me is um, first of all the the tactical votes on the left completely destroyed all of the other parties. The, the Green Party and all the small uh, Communist Party, the, the Socialist Party, the, the, basically the, the left-wing voters almost voted tactically, uh, almost all voted tactically for Mélenchon. Then also, he, he, I think he did not put forward too much of, uh, of walkism. Work, he did not basically people inside his party supporting woke policy policy were not put forward that much. He stayed on a, on a social campaign, I would say, it's focusing mm. on social so, social issue yeah, like cost of living, prices of uh, food, pricing of prices of oil, this kind this kind of thing that appeals still appeals to a lot of the the electorate. Um, and uh, but he he made he you're, but you're right as well because he made a change and uh, he did amazingly well in big cities like in in Montpellier in Rennes in Nantes in uh, Strasbourg he did amazingly well above above thirty percent thirty five percent in in almost all of those cities. Well, he so uh, um, amazingly I believe his vote was ninety four percent urban, which was quite incredible yeah. really yes yes so he basically um, wiped out the 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 socialist the socialist party inside those big cities he he completely took over their electorate uh, so, something, so yeah the, and, and then also added up uh, quite successful in uh, in suburb areas with uh, amazing support rates inside the muslim community as well oh yeah she got like 60% more than 60% of the muslim vote uh, 69% vote. yeah yeah 69% of, of <laughs> muslim who voted voted for Mélenchon. but the, but this you have to also to uh, nuance this figure because most of, of muslim don't vote so this in total mm. in total numbers is not that much but uh, but still he managed to uh, to yeah, he managed to take a huge portion of this. What I found quite interesting as well is that in, uh, from his 2017 vote, uh, when his voters were asked, who was your second choice candidate? Uh, they didn't say the, the socialist candidate or the, the ecologist candidate. Uh, they said 60% said Marine Le Pen, uh, which I find interesting. So it the left and right lists. Let me nuance this because, oh, okay. um, <laughs> because in the second round of the 2017 election, only 7% of Mélenchon voters voted for Marine Le Pen in the second round. Only 7%. Whereas 51% of Mélenchon voters in the first round voted for Macron in the second round. And the rest abstained, chose to Chose, chose not to vote, uh, which is the yeah, uh, 40, 40 something percent. Oh, okay. So 
2017 because the you need to understand that Lupin is portrayed in the media as the the, the devil. So even for the left, uh, especially for the left, the what what we called did the barricade a barrage. Yeah. Like, uh, uh, yeah, this is called uh, doing the barrage, which is barrage to fascism, no pasada, and uh, this kind of thing. <laughs> uh, to no pasada to a non-existing fascist, but uh, but nevertheless, that's still still what they do. And so, in 2017, it worked very well and helped Macron to secure even more votes from the left. But uh, this year, I think it will change a lot. Because if you look at the the polls and uh, in, uh, voting intentions, um, this time it's supposed to be around one third, one third, one third. So one mm. third for Macron, one third for Le Pen, one third to that will who will abstain, who will not vote in the second round. Well, so you see this change of of realignment because more and more people from the left are are no longer. Uh, willing to vote for the most anti-social candidates just because he's not Le Pen. Well, Macron, Macron is the most anti-social candidate of all. He, hmm. he will more destroy, uh, we will speak about this later maybe, but he's the most anti-social candidate for sure. But, right. And so this year I think it will be more difficult for a left-wing voter to vote for Macron than five years ago. Interestingly, uh, La France Soumise, Mélenchon's party, did an internal polling yesterday and ridiculously they didn't have Le Pen as an option. Um, but the results was that 38% would vote blank or, or white vote, 33% uh, would vote Macron and 29% would abstain. Um, so we don't know how much of those who say they would abstain would vote Le Pen. Uh, but it shows that, yeah, it, it seems to be one third for, for each sort of uh, vote. So it, it could be closer than we, we think. But it also, it also reveals how much of Mélenchon being a, a spoof candidate is like, he, because, he, because can you understand that he's, yeah, he's not even offering the choice of voting for Le Pen. So he already said to Macron, I will give you my, my, my voters. So he's willing to, to negotiate, discuss, and, uh, and call for his electorate to support Macron, who is the most anti-social candidate yeah. of all. So this is amazing. And this shows to me how much hypocritical all of this is, how much of a, of a show, of a, a theater this <laughs> is. Uh, and, and interestingly, uh, 72, I, I read that. Uh, so when you compare Mélenchon and Le Pen's uh, programs, uh, it's aligned with 72%, whereas Mélenchon and Macron's program only align with 20% of policies. Yeah, so if, you're, if you want Mélenchon policies enacted in government, then you would have more sense to vote for Marine Le Pen than you would for Emmanuel Macron. Absolutely, absolutely. But that would be a, a rational choice, a, a, a cold, cold reasoning of just comparing the, the different programs. But 
the problem is that the left everywhere in the world in, in the UK or in the in France is the same is they are they, they take decisions based on moral standpoints not, yeah not much on a, not much on a purely cold and rational uh, comparison between two programs mm. so uh, let's move on to the second round now and uh, first of all I wanted to talk about Marine Le Pen uh, first mm. of all who are the Le Penistes? Who who votes the most for well, who who is her voter base? Yeah, we'll say. Her voter base is uh in rural area mostly. She's very strong in all the, the countryside of France, basically, in most of countryside. Uh usually they are lesser educated as well. Um and more lesser interested by politics as well that that's one of the reason why Zemmour did not manage to take to to take uh, a part of her electorate because or that's one of the reasons is because he appeals to people who are more educated who like to read books or to watch his uh, his shows in uh, on tv uh, his historical uh, discussions or stuff like this which is not the case for Le Pen Le Pen's vo vo uh, voters, first of all, they, they get interested by the campaign very late. They, if, you, if you look at the statistics on when do you make your decision to support one candidate, Le, Le Pen's vote is, uh, is very, or, or when do you get interested by the campaign, sorry. When do you get interested mm. by the campaign? That for Le Pen's candidate for Le Pen's uh, supporters, that's always last minute. Basically, they don't follow politics a lot, whereas Zemmour, Zemmour's followers or Zemmour's fan, I would say more than Zemmour's followers, <laughs> uh, are crazy about politics. Like they will, they will, they will watch all of his all of his uh, uh, rally. They will uh, read his books, and uh, and so they will discuss a lot. And which very different, very different. So yeah, they are more Le Pen's voters are, are more rural, lesser educated. Um, also, socially, they are more uh, working class, uh, struggling to make ends meet. Um, yeah, counting every euros, and and yeah, that, that's that's uh, roughly how to describe her electorate. And uh, I think you, you shared something quite interesting as well on Twitter about how uh, she's actually now the, the candidate of, of le travail, the work. Uh, she she oh, tends yeah. to do better than Macron in active citizens. Yeah, that, that's a very interesting chart I, I, I found, which is um, uh, who do you support based on age uh, uh, and based on your age? And so you see that Macron is uh, the candidate of both the very young, like the between 18 and 24, mm. and which is the, the TikTok generation, let's say, that's what it's called. <laughs> and the retired, the, the, old, the, the old generation, who are both not the working class, who are both not the working people, sorry, the active uh, people, the the people in the in the labor force, mm -hmm. um, 
And whereas Le Pen is the top candidate in all age group of the, the working people, 25 to, to 59, basically, all age group she's, she's uh, leading, which is very interesting because, because she is portrayed as, um, as against work, against, or against uh, uh, business, or uh, against uh, the economy. And she's supported by most people working who are working, whereas whereas Macron is is the the pro business candidate and the pro work and uh, and she's not at all. She's supported by mostly people who are out of the workforce. So very interesting. Well, it seems to be a typical example of gentocracy uh, because uh, you know he his his main support base is the over sixty five, so those who are already retired who benefited from the uh, retirement age of 60 or 62 um, and who's going to reform the uh, the retirement age to, to increase it to 65 uh, and Absolutely. those who are voting for him are all already retired so it it's a, seems to me a typical example of gentocracy typical example of the hypocrisy of the baby boomers basically where it's like, do what I say, not what I do. <laughs> so I, I retired at the age of 60, but you need to work until 65 yeah. or 70 or 70 to pay my pensions because don't forget that in France, we don't have a, um, a capitalization that we have a, a redistribution system yeah. of retirement. It is the current people working who are paying the current uh, retirement pensions of uh, retired people. And so, so that's why they tend to vote for candidates who will not change anything and will continue continue this system going. And, and, and so, yeah, we say, we say just, to con just to conclude, we say about Macron that he's the young candidate of the elderly. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, I remember seeing a, a great video of um, it, it was very old. People were putting up posters of uh, Macron, which said uh, "Le Président des Jeunes," the President of the Young, and uh, everyone who was putting up the campaign posters were over the age of seventy, uh, which I found quite uh, I I ironic. One, I saw this one. I, I think it was a fake, but yeah, it was a good one. <laughs> <laughs> um, so going back to Marine Le Pen, uh, what is her route to power? and what would her presidency look like? So first of all, her route to power is very narrow, to be honest, because um, in order to, to get elected, she needs to 100% play on the hatred of, towards Macron, because Macron is really hatred, hated inside the country, all over the country. In many, many places, you see people completely including myself this is the worst president i had in my whole life you know <laughs> she's, she's worse than holland once than chirac she's, she's terrible even sarkozy she, she's truly anti-france in all aspects she never defends french interest and the interest of and he doesn't care and he despises french people like she made so many comments uh, about about uh, French working class or French people. 
you can uh, he said something like you can just cross the road to find a job in France yeah. kind of, this kind of comments is really un unacceptable and so mine Le Pen is feared by a lot of people as well because of her name because of the history of her party because of the comments of her dad in the past mm. all of this, all of these reasons she's feared by a lot of people so in order to fight this fear she needs to play a lot on the hatred of macron and basically not to and to re to reassure other people she almost need to do what she's doing now which is a centrist campaign she doesn't say much she's showing she's nice she's showing she's caring she's showing uh, like like she plays with her cats or this kind of thing <laughs> this kind of she she is just um, she is campaigning pretty well on the plat on the platform of of being I want to be the mother of France you know carrying. yeah yeah that's pretty smart actually that's uh that's exactly what she needs to do which is not make any wave any any move uh, no 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 comments that uh, no critical comments or even. She was rather critical of uh, Eric Zemmour uh, a lot in the first round, saying he was going too too far with his anti-Islam uh, at times. Exactly, actually, anti Eric Zemmour is helping her a lot with because she's more radical than her in in his view and in, in the way he explains his point of view because he never backs down, she never give up on on his view, she never compromise sometimes being a bit harsh to people and so with with Zemmour Le Pen appears to be more more how to say moderate yeah more care more moderate exactly and so so he he helped her in that sense to be to have a nice campaign and you see also that the media did not did not criticize her much for the whole first mm -hmm. round of the election this will change this is going to change and already has changed for second round but yeah that's what she needs to do she needs to play on the hatred of macron and reassure people that she's not the devil basically mm. and uh yeah my, my second question how how would her presidency look like do you think what would she First able all, to be enact a lot of policies that she's promised difficult very difficult because first of all if she's elected president she will need to win the legislative election that that come just after in june you know the the member of parliament's election yeah just, but, just for our just so our viewers are aware so first you have the presidency so to, we vote for the president and about a month later we we vote in the legislative elections which is which makes up the national assembly uh yeah. but the way the fifth republic works historically it, it tends to be the uh, the winning president who gains a, a large majority in the national assembly but i think it would be a different picture for marine le pen absolutely so yeah historically you tend to have an alignment of the president and the parliament because you vote for presidents and just after you are uh, how to say you are tying his hand that, yeah, that's mm. a bit weird you know you are preventing him from doing what she wants to do that's a bit strange 
But with Le Pen, that might change because her party historically has difficulties of winning any uh, legislative election, any parliament, any member of parliament. Can you believe that she only has seven or eight member of parliaments to yeah. second candidates? Like she, she has million, million of people, more than 10 millions of people voting for her. And second round, she will be, I don't know how many, uh, how, how, what, what percentage, percentage she will get, but she's the second biggest candidate and she gets only eight <laughs> seats in the national yeah, assembly yeah. that's the french system how the french system works and in the the legislative election is the same process where you have two rounds and this the first two candidates of the first round qualify to second round and you have to get more than 50 percent of the vote and the problem she has is that she easily get uh, 25 30 35 percent of the vote her, her sorry her, her party. people from her party people from her party easily get that but then they they all struggle to win the 50 plus one uh, vote 50 percent plus one they all struggle and so i think that she will struggle to get a total majority in the an absolute majority in the national assembly she will struggle to get that she will probably need to make an alliance maybe with the traditional conservative or maybe she will not even be able to form a, a government with majority and so this will be a total headache because she will be blocked in everything she does mm. mostly so very, very complicated. And plus, if she's elected, you will see that all the media, all the, the, the constitutional um, courts, all the, the judiciary system will try to block her in almost everything she does. So yeah, that would be pretty interesting to, to watch actually, because yeah, most, of, most of her proposal will be censored for instance, by the high court. And so she already said that if she is blocked, she will use referendum, direct referendum mm -hmm. to go over, to pass over the high court. So this would be uh, what the media is already portraying this as a, a constitutional coup d'etat. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they are portraying this like it like this. Um, but so I don't know how this will, plays out, will play out but this will be very, very, very interesting to very interesting to follow. But but for sure, she will have a lot of difficulties to rule the country. A lot of difficulties I've, to, I've, to do what she wants to do. I found that really interesting, actually. That uh, as soon as she she put forward her idea of the the RIC the, in France, which is the Referendum Initiative Citoyen which is basically a referendum on all the big questions such as immigration. Uh, the, the media have gone into absolute meltdown and not only have they shown themselves to be quite ardently anti-democratic, uh, but actually very anti-Gaulliste uh, because they, they sort of completely forgotten that in the sort of uh, the Gaulliste sort of formula uh, Charles de Gaulle was was rather anti-parliament. Uh, he he sort of always used to talk about how uh, parties would always put their interests ahead of the country, 
and so quite often uh, I believe he had five or six referendum national referendums during his time in power um, and um, he put his he put his trust uh, into the people on, on, on a lot of the big questions whether it be uh, they were mostly constitutional questions I believe yeah absolutely so um, she said yeah she had another amazing quote that I love so much that she said in France the only high court the only supreme court is the people yeah yeah <laughs> So yeah, that explains uh, his views that the the people is the ultimate master basically, and so a nothing can go over a referendum. But so you will see this clash of um, of legitimacy inside the French system between a referendum and uh, and the high courts. A bit similar to what we've seen with Brexit actually, where you see people criticizing the Brexit referendum or trying to block it. Inside the national, the inside the the chamber of the chamber of the of the inside the commons, uh, and not only that, but uh, in all the sort of Supreme Court, because people forget that our Supreme Court was only created in two thousand and seven, uh, and we had Gina Miller, who was a, a lawyer who was trying to stop. Uh, Brexit at every turn, taking it to the courts uh, every time when, when uh, Boris Johnson uh, dissolved Parliament, for example, she managed to win a court case to uh, to reopen it. And uh, today, actually, with this new Rwanda immigration plan, uh, the civil service is already pushing back against it. So we, we have a clash between the sort of executive branch and the, the elected branch. Uh, which could be very similar to what we see uh, under Le Pen. Mm, probably we will see something something very similar playing out. And so that, uh, but, but sure, the opposition will the opposition parties and the opposition in the media, in the parliament, in the every aspect of French society will uh, finally wake up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Something they haven't done <laughs> under Macron. Yeah. Under Macron. Macron ruling. <laughs> uh, so let, let's move on to Emmanuel Macron then. So we, we've touched upon it a bit, but how can you describe, after five years in power, how would you describe Macronism if there is such a thing? It is very, very difficult question to answer because Macron is... Um, yeah, there is a book that has been published recently about Macron that the title is Macron, the, the liquid president. She, because she's liquid, she's everywhere and you cannot grasp him. Uh, grab, uh, yeah, you cannot grasp him. She's, she can defend every a very different, different, very different views on very different topics. He can switch quite, quite easily. So he can appeal some, one day to the, let's say, to the, tra to the traditional conservative uh, Catholics uh, voters, like say something nice about them or say, and then the next day he will appeal to, um, to the anti-France uh, uh, people of the, some of, of the left, like who, um, what examples do I examples do I have? That he would say something like, "There is no such thing as French culture." Yeah, yeah. 
that's a, that's a good example. So one day you appeal to to Catholics, and the next day you you say there is no such thing as French culture. So it's like he's nowhere and he's everywhere. That's that's Macronism. But if I have to define some of the things that he doesn't change, is one is his Europeanism. He is pro EU. He has been pro EU, and he will remain pro EU. So he's he. That's the, the core of his, his ideology. And then it's the, the, German, the French German couple. That's what he keeps on speaking about. He keeps on, he keeps on speaking about the French German couple that is non existing, by the way. If you, if you look at what German people are saying, they never, they never <laughs> speak about German, German couple. So it's a, it's a one way couple. It's a one, <laughs> only Macron. Is in love, but not <laughs> um, and so then another point that defines ma Macronism, but to me is that he's anti-France. In most of his uh, his views, goes against the interest of France, and goes for for um, globalism or for the the money interest. For instance. The, the example of Alstom is, is, mm. uh, is, is a telling example where he's willing to sell one of the key assets that, that is a key asset for our, our nuclear power and our electricity in France that produces electricity was built by the, uh, under the goal and was um, a, key, a key aspect of our independence, basically. So he's willing to sell this to uh, to General Electric, and so here you see that he doesn't have in mind at all the 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 idea of France being an independent country. He doesn't care. He's just about uh, how much money I can make out of this. That's that's his view. So, um, so not, yeah, one, one point is that he will, he sold a lot of, under Macron, since he's, uh, he was member of the government of Hollande, and then became uh, minister of the economy, minister of finance and the economy, yeah. and then became president, you see a top and uh, you see a boom of the merger and acquisition in France of big top, um, top companies. Like uh, like Alcatel, like Alstom, Technip, all of those were were key key strategical companies that he he sold to to foreign entities. So yeah, that that's uh, that's why I say that one key aspect of Macron Macronism is his anti France. And and just uh, adding to your point, actually, there was uh, I was listening to uh, Pierre-Yves uh, Rougeron, who's a, uh, the founder of the Cercle Aristote. Uh, he was saying that um, he he's willing to self-destruct a France in order to save the European project. So this was during the fishing crisis between uh, Britain and France, and uh, I believe. Um, France's biggest economic surplus is with Great Britain. So uh, you, you have an economic surplus of around 12 billion. Uh, but Macron is, is willing to sort of 
continue to attack uh, Britain in order to sort of, um, well, to if, if Britain were to sort of start boycotting or putting sort of tariffs on French products, uh, it could be uh, a lot of jobs lost uh, in areas like Cognac, uh, but he, he's willing to sort of, um, destroy the French economy in order to sort of please uh, the EU and, and Brussels in, in a lot of cases. Please the EU and Br Brussels and just follow his ideology. He's an, yeah, on, on this matter, he's an ideolo ideologue. And uh, yeah, interesting you said about the, the liquid president and it, it really showed in the, the results of uh, the elections as well, because in 2017, he sort of mirrored the 2012 François Hollande socialist vote, whereas this, this election, uh, he pretty much mirrored the 2012 Sarkozy uh, right-wing electorate. So his, his electorate in five years has, has shifted uh, towards the right. <laughs> He, he, he managed to switch completely one part of his electorate for, to another. That's yes, quite, quite impressive. And uh, just to sort of finish up on... This kind of, sorry, you go. Sorry, one, one, last, one last topic of, of Mark France's presidency is that he is slowly turning into more and more of an authoritarian candidate as well. Mm. Because, because you see he's like... Um, so first of all, she refused to debate during the campaign. She refused to to have a proper uh, proper campaign, and and also during his mandate, she's uh, he uh, how to say he, um, uh, he destroyed the life of many yellow vest by uh, um, by how to say he, by he mutilates mutilated a lot of yellow vest, uh, yellow vest. Uh, he imposed uh, the many restrictions during the, the COVID. Uh, so yeah, and, and he refused to have any compromise or discussion or he goes over parliament, he doesn't, the, the whole parliament is, is, uh, is aligned to his policies, so he doesn't need to mm. have any discussion. Um, so yeah, he's more and more of a of an authoritarian candidate to me, authoritarian president. Which is not how he presented himself. In uh, it's the, he's it, supposed to be a, supposed to be a liberal candidate. So yeah, he's supposed to be free trader and uh, more freedom in terms of um, social social issues as well. So yeah, he's a mix again. He's a mix, and uh, he, but he's a. a a free trader that is turning into a totalian. <laughs> it's very similar to uh, Justin Trudeau, actually. That both of them, when they arrived, they sort of presented themselves as liberal centrists. And uh, we saw in Canada when uh, um, Justin Trudeau was freezing everybody's bank accounts, he was pretty authoritarian. Uh, it reminds me of that really great quote, which is uh, uh, centrism is uh, Vichyism in times of peace. Uh. <laughs> Another great quote. Exactly. Also reminds me of a, an, an article in the New York Times that says, unlike popular belief, uh, the, the most um, uh, uh, people hate, uh, or, or how to say, um, 
people who criticize democracy the most are not are not extremists they are centrist yeah people yeah. who are most yeah, mostly against democracy today are centrist not extremist exactly which is very the the centrism is turning into more and more totalitarian yeah when it, also when you say something like uh i have i, I really want to to how do you say how to translate this in, in, in oh, to, uh, to to piss off, off. Really, yeah yeah to piss off the the non vaccinated french people how how can does a, how can a president say that about one part of the population i really want to piss them off how can you can, how can you say that no, so, yeah. uh, it's just it's just he's turning to everybody that reject him or refuse to uh, to refuse his policy, he's turning more and more, yeah, more and more authoritarian towards them. I, I contrast with the a really nice quote again from Charles de Gaulle, who said, uh, well, what does it mean to be a leader? Uh, it's to treat the most vulnerable in society with uh, the dignity that they deserve. And Macron, for me, has been the complete opposite. Uh, every time you see him making a television appearance, he, he really enjoys to humiliates as sort of normally a, a working class um, sort of less educated person. He, he likes to try and humiliate them on an intellectual level um, mm -hmm. and, and his supporters seem to, to really enjoy that as well. It, it's, it's a bit perverse in a sense. She's, uh, she humiliates people who are lower than him and he pleased people who are who he perceived to be higher in terms of power yeah so he's very with, with i don't know with biden or with uh, with yeah other people of the elite with the the billionaires he's very nice and uh, with them but he he humiliates people who are lower and just to finish off with macron uh just wanted to talk about one last scandal recently and why it's significant is uh, Mackenzie Gate. Uh, mm. Could you explain a little bit what, what that is and why it's significant? So the Mackenzie Gate is, um, is, has two sides. Is one is that she's been using McKinsey a lot uh, in, in public tenders without um, uh, Without much um, of uh, how do you say of consulting and yes, a consulting company for everything for for the the COVID crisis for the every possible aspect of uh, of French politics and uh, so the total figures I forgot but is about one billion a year or something like this is huge. Mm. Um, and then the second scandal is you have 20, uh, no, the, the, sorry, the continuation of this scandal is that this company is not, hasn't been paying any taxes in France for the past 15 years, whereas they make profits in France, but because of tax evasion, they, they repatriate their profits back to, back to Delaware in the US where mm. they pay zero tax in Delaware. And so they haven't been paying any taxes. And so people are saying, so hold on, you are, we are giving them public tenders. So they are basically making huge amount of money in France with, uh, with public money and they don't even pay tax after that. 
that's a bit uh, that's a bit dodgy. And then another part of, of this scandal is that you have twenty uh, McKinsey employees who designed the the program of Macron in 2017 for his uh, his campaign. And so they designed wow. this, they claim that is uh, is on their individual individual uh, will that the, the, the company is not involved. But when you have 20 of them, that's a bit um, uh, because if it's may if it's done by McKinsey, that's illegal. That's illegal to give free and for free. They give they did this for free. And so if, if it's done by McKinsey, it's illegal. So he has to prove that there is no. McKinsey has to prove that there is no policy that they uh, encourage their employee to work in the campaign of, of Macron. So and yeah, that's enough. That, that's just showing again the that Macron one one side of Macron, which is crony capitalism. He he gives work to his friend, and so because the yeah the McKinsey boss in France is a, a very close friend with Macron. Mm. And, and we can contrast that with the previous election where uh, uh, François Fillon, there was a, a big scandal um, surrounding his wife and uh, it was investigated pretty much straight away. And uh, it, it's what cost him the election. And this year round, it was, you know, I, I can see the, the frustration in the opposition because, uh, for example, I was watching a debate with Jordan Bardella from the, uh, from mm. Le Pen's party and he kept trying to raise this issue and every time it was just ignored and it, the media just want to completely ignore it and he seems to to be getting away with it and without any accountability. The difference of, of treatment of those two cases where Fillon, he basically he hired his wife as an assistant and she did not manage to prove that she was doing real work for him, I mean, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and so, so, and so that's what had what what led him to to almost lose his campaign with the with the the tribunal the um, the yeah the judge suing him very fast during the yeah. campaign, which was which was something very rare because usually they they don't do that in the middle of the campaign. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, but, but for Macron, you have the McKinsey, but you have also the Rothschild one, which is the, the, his, the, the amount of money that he won while he, that he earned while he was working at, at uh, Rothschild before, before joining the mm. Holland government completely disappeared. He, what he declared he's, uh, he's, he's laughable. He declared 500K euros as a total worth this is just laughable it's like every candidate is almost richer than him <laughs> even the uh, the the revolutionary trotskyist was supposedly uh, <laughs> spending more than him on his campaign which i found yeah, laughable he worked for four, four years at, at rothschild bank and he claimed to have uh, secured one of the biggest deal between uh, of a, a merger between Pfizer and Danone in uh, for one part of their one one business unit 
which uh, was was sold for 12 billion euros so i i can't imagine how much he get from that based on based on what the what people working in this in this uh, this type of job say he should get at least around 20 20 million euros for this type of deal of deal and so he declared only 3 million and then the the because when they go for presidential campaign they have to do a wealth uh, wealth declaration yeah how much do you have and in this first wealth declaration in 2017 he declared only 35,000 euros <laughs> yeah laughable <laughs> laughable laughable but nobody is investigating the media don't ask any question about this no problem <laughs> It goes smoothly for him. Uh, going back uh, quickly to the um, Mackenzie Gate, uh, I have to get in one of my favorite quotes. Uh, it's just sort of typical of this technocracy that we see in uh, today's uh, politics. And uh, someone said uh, about Gordon Brown and New Labour, uh, which is arguably the sort of model of Macron, the, the new Labour sort of model. Uh, they said that uh, if Gordon Brown's house was on fire, uh, he would call a congregation of uh, technocrats to uh, uh, discuss and consult what to do about it before they call the, the firemen. Uh, and this is what I feel Mackenzie Gates is. You have a lot of uh, high functioners in France who have been trained up all their life for these sort of jobs and uh, he goes over their heads and goes straight to the the american consultancy company yeah so that that's another part of the issue is why do we have so many of the civil servants who we pay uh, according to macron we pay too much why do we pay <laughs> them too much if we don't use them and you use you prefer to use a consultancy company and another part is that uh, why are you using an American consultancy company, an American consultancy company that has, as a, as a client, has the CIA and FBI as clients? Yeah. So, and, and they work, for instance, on our, our healthcare platform, you know, like the unifying all the health data. Mm. Of, so they work, they, they work also on this project. So basically you are giving away some of some of the some of the data that you're not supposed to give away to a foreign entity. So that's another part of this issue. So another aspect of this this making this scandal. Yeah, there are lots of uh, skeletons in the closet. It seems uh, surrounding this uh, the scandal. Um, yeah. So because uh, we're mostly English listeners, well, I thought we'd finish with a. Uh, a last question of uh, how do you see uh, Franco-British relations developing in the next five years, uh, depending on which candidate wins? So that's a good question. Um, for Macron, if Macron is reelected, I think we will see uh, a continuation of what's going on because Macron's ideology, as I said, is mostly pro-EU and uh, wanting to have close relationship with Germany. And so in, in that sense, 
she will be she's one of the people who pushed the most to to make brexit the more uh how to say the make make british people suffer from brexit the most mm. she put she she she, she pushed this inside inside the, the european union she wanted to punish the she said that she said uh, the british people need to suffer from brexit whereas even merkel is not saying this because she knows her, her automotive industry yeah. is dependent on UK quite a lot and her unlike macron she is thinking about german interest first unlike macron and so yeah we will see a continuation of this so wanting to punish british people um whereas and, and wanting to to show to other eu members that brexit is not successful because if brexit is too successful it might give ideas to other countries and so all of the eu members don't want to have a, a successful brexit if you see le pen winning the election so that might be a different but not necessarily much better but it depends because um she wants a, a foreign policy for instance there is lesser aligned with the eu germany and the us so for instance in the in the ukraine crisis she will not want she will not follow people sanctioning russia or mm. people um or the the american narrative towards uh, the the new cold war narrative towards russia even though russia invaded ukraine she will she will say i condemn you as she said she said i condemn the invasion of, of the invasion of, of ukraine by russia but i or there, there are also reasons and circumstances that led to this for instance the expansion of nato towards towards the east uh, that is perceived as aggressive towards russia mm. for russia and so she has these views so she will not be um, totally aligned with the anglo-saxon view the american uk view in that in that that aspect um but regarding brexit and sanction or, or economic economic uh, relationship between france and the uk i think this will be it will be better than with with macron because she is not uh, she never said that the the she said she she support brexit and she support the choice of the of the british people that needs to be respected and needs to be uh, uh how to say it needs to be yeah you, you need to live with it basically and and make the best out of it so she will try to make the best out of out of uh, a brexit yeah so, i i think remember well the M member of parliaments in the european union of mine le pen all celebrated brexit with the yeah with yeah. the party members which I, I thought so, was quite strange. Uh, people like her and Mélenchon were sort of celebrating it, but then as soon as you're like, oh, does that mean you're supportive of Frexit? It was, like, oh, no, 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 terrible idea. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's strange. It's a bit strange, and because she knows that Frexit is not popular in France, so she decided not to support Frexit. But in 2017, 
with uh, Filippo inside her party, she supported the referendum on the European Union. Yeah. She's not Brexit per se, but she supported having a referendum. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we'll finish with a prediction then. Um, what can you see developing the second round? <laughs> Um, last time I, I haven't been so good with predictions, <laughs> so let's we can be better. Well, my view is that she will still lose the election. She will still lose the election. She, because the forces against her are too big, and because of her name and her uh, her history, I think that is very difficult, very unlikely that she wins the election. But it will be a much, much more close than in 2017, I think. Yeah, that, that's almost for sure. Because now her image has improved a lot. And now lesser and lesser left-wing candidates will do a barrage to no passara and to fascism. No, this will, will, will work much, uh, much less in 20, 2022. And so for all those reasons, I think we will see a closer, closer game. But probably I, I would say around 56, 44, or something like this. That would be my, my bet. Oh, uh, okay. 50, yeah, 50, 55, 45, maybe. Something, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think something, something around there, probably. I would yeah. be so very surprised if she's, uh, if, if she wins. If she wins, I, I would be very surprised. Well, we well, a lot of people didn't expect Brexit or Trump, so you never know. Yeah. We could have a a surprise. That's the hope is that yeah, surprises are are still possible. <laughs> I, I, also, I just uh, the pollsters historically are a bit more accurate than in the UK and the US. Yeah. in the US, the you have is the the system is designed, you know, is like state. You have the swing state system where a few southern votes can make you win the states and then can make you win all the delegates of the states and then change the result of the election. Yeah. Whereas in France, it's just a general election in the whole population, which is much more difficult to, much more difficult. You don't have this uh, unpredictability, I would say. Less, mm. Much less. You still have you still have room to for surprises. <laughs> I'm uh I'm, I'm laughing at my myself a bit now because uh, I can see my uh, 18 year old uh, uh, revolutionary Trotsky self uh, crying at the fact that uh, years later I'll be uh, voting for uh, Marine Le Pen in the second round to stop uh, Macron getting back into power. So it's it's quite a political journey I've been on in the, in the last few years, yeah. <laughs> I think you are not the only one. There are, there are quite a few quite a few people who have made this, uh, this move. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, uh, we've come to the end then. Uh, it was a pleasure speaking to you as, as always, and uh, thank you very much for coming on. You're welcome. Pleasure to speak to you. And uh, yeah, so we've got the local elections in uh, the UK coming up. I'm trying to do uh, three or four episodes for each country, England, uh, Northern Ireland, Wales and Scotland. So 
uh, should have a lot of content coming up. But uh, thanks everyone for tuning in and uh, yeah, we shall see each other soon. Bye bye.